0: Good people, you are listening to Feel Free to Deviate, the podcast about people, their careers, and their relationships with success. My name is Jim Turbert, and I'm the host. Every episode is different, and I enjoy talking to all of my guests, but this is my favorite kind of episode. Today's guest is an old friend named Todd Hennig. We were in a band together when we were in high school. And since then, Todd has gone on to play with many bands, touring in many lands, and even making records with some of the heroes of our youth. He still needs to work a normal job, but I look at him as someone who deftly balances his family, his passions, and his career. He makes it look easy, but as is the case with most people, his path was not free of obstacles. This episode is full of personal anecdotes and reminiscences. But despite many of them being rooted in the music world... I think the meaning and the message can be applied universally. Just so you know, this is going to be a long one. I know. It's a lot to ask for you to listen to me and my friends, colleagues, and acquaintances talk about this stuff. But one of the most powerful and wonderful things about podcasts is the ability to pause. It's on demand, and you can listen whenever and wherever you want. And if you need to talk to someone or make a sandwich for a child, you can pause and start right back up where you left off. It's a beautiful thing. Most podcast players even have a 15 to 30 second back button so you can get reacquainted with whatever you were listening to before you paused. It's almost like you didn't stop listening. So yeah, I know it's long. And it could have been longer. Catching up with Todd was fantastic. It was even fun editing the episode because it felt like we were back in the conversation. And I had a great time. I hope a little bit of that rubs off on you while you're listening. Without further ado, this is my conversation with Todd Henning.
1: Yes. yes, no, that's good. All right. I didn't know I had an accent until I moved out here, and everyone's like, "Oh, you're from the East Coast." <laughs> oh, yeah, I guess so. Yes,
0: I am. What's the the tell for the for the East Coast Connecticut accent?
1: I I don't know. They've often said Boston, which I think I sound nothing like. But y- you don't. I do hear New England. Like if I hear someone say I'm watching Dateline or something which I often do and someone's from Connecticut or or even like Rhode Island or Pennsylvania even you can kind of hear you know now that I'm not there I guess
0: I recognize some regional dialects I lived in Boston so that's one of the most identifiable regional dialects Yeah
1: I feel like that one's pretty pretty clear cut but...
0: It is it's hard to mistake it for something else <laughs> but while I was living there with Marlene obviously Marlene has an accent But she's Dutch, and nobody knows what Dutch people sound like. Right. And there are a ton of Irish people in Boston. So people used to ask her if she was Irish all the time.
1: Crazy. She does not sound Irish at all. Like, you're not from Massachusetts. You must be (laughs) Irish. Exactly. (laughs) That's hilarious. It doesn't really make any sense.
0: <laughs> um I suppose because she kinda has reddish hair and yeah oh. and freck you know, she's got some freckles. I, I guess that's why. Maybe I don't know. But it's also funny because most of the Irish people that I that I know don't have reddish hair. That's kinda like a stereotype that I don't know
1: that it's even real. I do feel like the the drinking's real, maybe a little bit, but <laughs> the red hair, I don't know. The drinking is definitely real. <laughs> Like, nobody in U2 has red hair, do they?
0: Uh, I don't know. Maybe The Edge does, but he wears a hat all the time.
1: Yeah. Hence the do-rag in the hat,
0: (laughs) trying to cover up his roots. I think that he just prematurely went bald and and decided that the hat was his thing. He was pioneering that
1: look. I wish we could hang out. I was supposed to be over there in 2020, and of course... That didn't the world happen. was canceled. That seemed like a non-essential thing that I could cancel. But uh, yeah, I w- the last time I was over there was 2019, but I didn't come to Amsterdam or Rotterdam. I think, you know, the closest I got, I think we played a festival called the J- Jera Open Air or Jera Open Air. I can't remember where it is, but it was huge and I didn't feel like I was close to you. So I wasn't able to hang out. But yeah, it's been a while. I feel very removed from it and out of the loop.
0: I come to uh, look forward to the, the tours. I, th- there was another time when you yeah. were supposed to come, I remember. And then I think the, the whole tour got canceled.
1: Yeah, our singer had some family stuff going on that was much more pressing than the tour. And that got canceled. He was like, oh, just, you know, get someone to fill in. And we're like, the whole group kind of revolves around you and your voice. So probably not.
0: Is that the Dreadlock guy?
1: Yeah, yeah, (laughs) Thomas, yeah. So we went back, um, and I haven't played with those guys. Well, we haven't played, I should say, since 2018 was the last time. He got really busy with his other band, Strike Anywhere, again. Yeah, And then the pandemic hit, and now I'm playing in another band. I did a record with them last year, and then they were kind of like, we want you to be our drummer. I said, you can say I'm your drummer, and I'll be your drummer until... I can't, you know, like I can't, I, I feel like in these times, I can't plan that far ahead and like with the kids and everything. So right now I think they're planning a tour for July over there. I don't know what the stops are and I don't know if I'll be able to go or not, but I am doing a couple shows in uh, April in the Bay Area, which I'm like excited, but a little bit nervous about because I haven't played a live show and. Quite a while now. yeah you'll be fine. You're a pro, man. If I'm not sure. I remember how to do it. <laughs> yeah. It's like riding a bike. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's like riding a bike drunk. If at this point, but I'm pretty familiar with the material I recorded with them. But I only had it for like a week or week and a half before I flew down to do it. They have this whole back catalog that I'm trying to learn now because the record's not even out, so nobody knows any of the new songs. What's,
0: so, what's the name of the band?
1: Uh, it's called Love Equals Death. It's a little less aggressive than some of the stuff I've done. But they were really active. They were on fat records. And then I think in the mid-2000s, they kind of took a break. And now the singer is firing it back up. Kind of in the vein of AFI, I would say. So it's pretty fun. These days, I have to like the music, but the people are even almost more important to me. Like, if I love hanging out with the people and they're good people, it's like, cool, I can play music. But I can also hang out with these good people that I respect, you know, so... Um, that's kind of where i've been at lately treating it more like a, a hobby i always have to be doing it to be happy but there's not as much at stake i guess when you look at it that way it's like you can kind of do records and that kind of stuff and not worry as much about what the future holds with that particular project especially with during the pandemic i was trying to just record as much as i could like my old band heckle did two eps they started writing stuff again which i didn't expect either and so that was pretty fun i was trying to stay active without going anywhere (laughs) i flew to la a couple times you know masked up in the studio and everything and it was kind of weird but still got to stay active since shows weren't happening
0: yeah well i saw i saw on social media that you posted some stuff every now and then like in the studio or whatever and uh that's very exciting I, i i find it exciting
1: yeah, it's fun. I I just need it. Doesn't really matter the scale of it. I guess it's just I love recording. I love writing. Touring is cool, but it's harder now with the kids. Like I miss them so much. They're at that age where you know we're pretty tight, and <laughs> Yo, how, how I want to try to. <laughs> they're uh, in August. They're going to be four and six, dude. The four, big especially the
0: four, it goes away so fast, and it's it's never like that again. <laughs>
1: Yeah, my 5-year-old's really like my best friend too, but I feel like in another couple of years she's probably not going to want to spend time with me. So like I'm trying to soak it in while I can. Not that she'll hate me, I hope, but she's already like if her friends want to play, it's like she drops everything like yeah, I want to go no, play with my real. friends and it's like cool, I'll just be here. You know, it's almost weird cuz you're so used to them wanting to play with you, but Yes. I'm trying to soak that in cuz that's what everyone says and that's what I'm seeing already. So and now you know they're they're doing like gymnastics and dance and uh, my, my five-year-old's doing soccer soon, that alone is like just trying to be a part of all that. And I actually enjoy it. It's not that I feel like I have to be there. It's like I actually enjoy it. You know, I love being with them. Music's got to be in there because I'm I'm pretty miserable if it's not, but it's as long as I have something to look forward to, even if it's a few months away or even six months away, even if it's small, like doing an EP or doing a couple shows, like that's almost enough right at this point in time you know if a huge opportunity came along i would definitely if it made sense for the team i would consider it but i've kind of felt like a happy place also i think the pandemic put a lot in perspective for me because all of my friends that i used to idolize and wish i was in their position all of a sudden i was like wow they can't work they have no income even though they make a lot of money when they do work, they're bored. They're not working. They have no income. They're stressing out. And even you know, even now, I look at some of my friends differently. Like some of my friends have really young kids and they're out on tour. And I'm like, instead of envying them, I'm like, man, that must suck. They have no choice, and they're away from their kids. It's weird how it puts some things in perspective.
0: They can finally play, so they have to go play.
1: Yeah, exactly. Like everybody's getting out there now, which totally I understand. They need to. That was kind of a silver lining, and it also made me appreciate a lot of things that I probably used to overlook. You know, I'm sure that was like that for everybody. Having a a house and just kids I like being with and a wife I like being with, it was like, okay, we really don't like people that much, I guess. We're pretty cool (laughs) just being home. (laughs) It's just weird how it kind of leveled the playing field for a lot of people. I was talking to a friend of mine. It was like, even Brad Pitt right now has to wear a mask and worry (laughs) about getting COVID. It leveled the playing field for humans, you know? It Mm -hmm. was almost like, wow, this is like everybody's in the same position. And that doesn't happen very often. It didn't matter if you were rich. You had just a good chance of getting it. Well, you could send out your assistant to get food for you and stuff, I guess.
0: That is one of the benefits of being Brad Pitt.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I'm guessing so. I wouldn't say it's the main benefit of being Brad Pitt. (laughs) No. How is it in Holland right now, like with the mandates and all that?
0: It's fine now. Everything is open. The only mandate for the mask is if you're on the train. Which
1: is probably not a bad idea anyway, right?
0: No, it's a great idea. It makes me a little nervous because I, I feel like they go from almost complete lockdown to, oh, it's fine. The numbers are okay. Everybody can do their thing again. And I I just feel like there's no, there's no gradual ramping of rules. It just goes from zero to 60.
1: Yeah, like, let's just test the waters and see if we, we change a couple things. They did away with it in Oregon March 12th, I think. And it was like party time. Like, I'm still wearing my mask because... The whole thing was like you're saying, they're like, well, the hospital numbers are down. So we're going to do away with the mandate. And it's optional for businesses. But the numbers were probably down because people were having to wear masks. (laughs) I still wear mine if I go in Starbucks or whatever. There was a point even when I like I was going to get groceries in the beginning, I was wearing rubber gloves and it was hazmat style like all right, I'm going to take a hit for the team and go get us some milk, you know. It's I feel like here on the train, you you have a pretty good chance of catching something potentially even worse if you don't wear a mask. So I'm okay with it, actually, right now. I kind of like I'm scared to take it off.
0: I usually bring mine with me, but the coffee place that I go to has a, a window outside, so I just go to that. But the place is always full. It is jam-packed every single time I go there, which is another reason why I go to
1: the window. Well, I think one of our last nice dates was in the Amsterdam train station Starbucks, wasn't it? That
0: might be the nicest Starbucks I've ever been in.
1: Yeah, good atmosphere, nice nice scenery.
0: Yeah. High ceilings.
1: I remember hanging out with you there. That was super fun. And then we had that overly awkward photo shoot that we had to do.
0: That was amazing. I was actually with those
1: random people <laughs> hanging out that none of us knew.
0: <laughs> it was so good. Oh, but also, do you remember um, the band that you're playing with, Boy, Boy Sets Fire? I look kind of like the singer. Holy I have shit, like a do. I have a gray beard and and short short brown hair. If you look at us next to each other, we're obviously different people, but outside the show, people kept asking me how my voice was because evidently he had laryngitis
1: or something. So people were like, dude, how's your voice? He's a really nice dude. He's kind of shy, but like he was taking these steroids for it. And I remember on the bus, it was getting weird. I was asking him for help with something with like curtain of my bunk and he got all like aggressive. He's like, yeah, that's really the... First thing I want to be doing right now and like, I it's like easy steroid guy <laughs> like take, take it down a notch <laughs> Those things do get get weird I went on tour with them with Death by Stereo and with Great Collapse and yeah, they're definitely good people. And I, now that you say that, you're taller than he is, but you definitely have like a likeness if I really picture the two of you next to each other. I mean, it's cl- it's close enough if I'm outside
0: the gig and, and, no- <laughs> yeah. and nobody's actually seen him in person. So. Oh,
1: that's so funny. You're like, uh, my voice is great. Thanks for asking.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I
1: didn't know what the dude looked like until
0: the show started. And then I was like, oh, I get it now.
1: <laughs> I, I feel very fortunate that we're able to hang out like that When we're so far apart, you know, and it's super crazy. We're not having to drop like twelve hundred bucks a piece to make it happen. You know, that's one of the main things I love about music and and touring is most of my great friends I've met through music and my wife. And it's kind of sculpted my whole life, even though I'm not as active now. It's definitely a special thing that I would never take for granted. I don't know
0: if you've listened to any of these episodes, but that's kind of why I asked you to be on, because you were talking before about how it wasn't really about ambition. It was more about hanging out with the friends, and then you really wanted to see your family. Then you were talking about your other hardcore, 100% full-time music guys not being able to work at all during corona. It seems like you've got the art of balance You know, a lot of people are into bands, but you go to the recording studio, you go on tours, you do this stuff, and you also have a normal job.
1: Yeah. And you make furniture. (laughs) I don't really relax well. I like to always be doing something, and I feel like any downtime I try to have, it gets soaked up. It gets absorbed by either the kids or work will want something or you know so it's like I I've been having to try to approach it differently like I'm gonna carve out time like I'll take this job but you have to know that sometimes I'm gonna have to go play shows it's what makes me tick and it's what keeps me seen it sounds cheesy but I actually tried to stop playing drums for a few years why um, I don't know when I lived in Vermont I didn't have a kit for a little bit and I remember I was with my ex-girlfriend and I was like well Maybe I could just do other things. I could snowboard. I could focus on whatever I'm doing. And I was miserable. And now, you know, I'll get really snappy if I don't have something going on. You know, it could even be just trying to write a record with a friend up here or or whatever. But I think it hasn't come easy, that balance. Like, I've had to work externally for it with jobs with people and and that but also internally trying to make peace with like i tried so hard for so long to get in that huge band that i could you know buy a house from and have a comfortable life i got further than i expected but i didn't get to that level so i had to kind of make peace with the fact i didn't get there but there are perks to not being there as i've seen you know as i've learned lately and it's also my family has given me so much reward i think just having a family and being a dad and that kind of thing that I never expected. And I I feel fortunate that I made enough connections along the way or I play enough, I guess in the public eye to have people ask me to play on their records sometimes. And it's usually like either a connection I never would have thought of, or it's someone randomly like a a band just hit me up that broke up a long time ago that used to be on Vans records. You know, we played some shows with them and stuff and they just hit me up a couple months ago. They want me to do a record with them. Like, Oh, we're going to start the band again. I really appreciate that anyone would think of me, first of all, because I'm kind of out of the loop as I left California and everything. Furthermore, I'm just stoked for the opportunity. I love doing it. So I have a hard time saying no to things. And that's why I have so many things going on. And on top of my job and the furniture and stuff, I still take on kind of small consulting gigs sometimes. Like I'll work with certain people's YouTube channels and things like that. It's just hard to say no when it's someone I've been working with for five, six, seven years on and off. And my wife's a stay at home mom right now, so it's good to make as much money as possible <laughs> when the opportunities arise, so you never know when you never know when you're gonna get laid off or something. So I know I've been jobless for a year. oh no, yeah,
0: dude, I got laid off at the very beginning of the year. Oh, sorry to hear that, yeah, it sucks, and that's why I do this, but fortunately for me, my wife is uh supporting me. <laughs>
1: That's awesome. I mean, <laughs> I I just look at it as a team. Like I don't care. Yeah, I'll course. work three jobs so she can be home with the kids because I think the kids are getting so much out of it. She's great to them. I'm never bitter about it. It's like we're a team, and I'm sure certain times like she'll have to do the same. And I I was in the same boat. I got laid off from Lionsgate. Mm-hmm. I worked there eight and a half years, and I I got laid off May of 2020 because of COVID. They said, yeah, Um, and not so much laid off as uh, we're doing away with your position (laughs) entirely. So it wasn't like you have a chance of coming back. I, I slid into this other thing. I was strangely, I was working on this sport fishing show with one of the presidents from Lionsgate. He called me like the day my job ended, a guy I had never talked to because I'd only talked to his people. He knew I existed and he's like, hey, you'd be great for this project I'm working on. So I worked for him until I found this job. Things kind of fell into place. I made like half the money I made at Lionsgate, but it was still something, you know? And then I I like having those extra streams, like the furniture. It's like, okay, I'm home. I can ramp up that a little bit more and try to supplement with that. So yeah, long story. But the balance is like, even at Lionsgate, I was like, hey, I'm going on tour for three weeks. However, we have to work it out. Let's do that. Not like, can I go on tour? I'm
0: going on tour.
1: Yeah, like I'll take a week off, you know, if I have vacation time and then maybe I'll take two weeks unpaid or I'll work remotely and I'll train someone to help or whatever. So those are the ways that I've managed to do it. It's never a comfortable thing. Even when I was touring almost full time with Death by Stereo all those years, we toured a lot, you know, because we had to because of the the level we were at. We could make enough money to live, but we had to tour a lot more than most of our friends bands. Right. (laughs) When I would come home, I'd work at a skate shop. Uh, there was a time I was doing like hardwood floors. I I didn't only kind of need to supplement my income a little bit, but I actually liked that shift of gears because it always keeps everything interesting. You know, when you get a little burned out on touring, you come home and then you're working and it's like a whole different rhythm and different people you're around and that kind of stuff. And I just like working. So that's kind of been nice for me rather than being like all one or all the other. You know what I mean? Yeah, I do. There are days that are tough. You know, I wish I was playing more, but enough's been kind of just rolling down the hill to, I guess, like keep the beak wet and keep me from going nuts. So I can't complain, but, you know, who knows if that'll keep happening. But it seems like the more I do, the more opportunities I'll get. If you never left the house, people, they don't forget about you, but they're not going to think of you right away as an option, I think. So they're, they're probably like at times like, oh, is that guy even playing anymore? You know, I haven't really seen much. It seems like the more stuff I do, the more people I talk to kind of leads to other things. That's been the deal the last couple of years.
0: I've heard other people say that as well. Not about drumming specifically, but about stuff. Just put yourself out there.
1: I'm not great with social media. I'll do it for the business, for the furniture stuff. But in my life, it's like, "Ah, no one really cares. But if I record or something like in a studio or in L.A., I'll try to post a little something because it's kind of special to me. And yeah, it's like if you were out taking pictures and you were posting pictures that all of a sudden you're top of people's mind. Jim's a really good photographer. I need some pictures taken. I'm going to call him. It. So it makes sense. I get it. But there's so many people that do so much better at it. I just I'm not interested in it. I am not. I don't like being out there like hustling and trying to post like drumming videos. And who has time for that? You know, <laughs> I'm not that, I'm not that good. I feel like so.
0: What do you mean you're not that good? You're 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 a legend. <laughs>
1: I wouldn't go that far. No, there's some kids that post a video. Like there's one I know. He posts a video and like every time he does, he's like gets calls like, Oh, Limp Biscuit wants you to play with him and like what? this band wants you to play with Yeah, and it's like he's now like working all the time, but he used to do these drum videos like, you know, like covers or whatever. Like Yeah. And th- that's awesome. I just I don't think I have the energy or Right, or the well, time yeah. or maybe like the flashiness to, to do it.
0: <laughs> <So>. <laughs> well, also you you did you called him a kid. I'm assuming that means that he's quite young and probably doesn't have um, responsibilities.
1: Exactly, he's. I think he's like mid twenties. So to me, that's kind of a kid these days. I would say that
0: that's a kid, and he's doing what he's supposed to be doing. You know, back in the day, if you weren't in a band when you were 25 and this social media existed, you'd probably be doing something like that.
1: Yeah, I absolutely would have. Yeah, I don't even know how you got gigs back in the day. Well, I know when I moved to L.A., there was a guy that I heard about called Barry Squire that was kind of like the finder of all things musicians. So it's like, you know, oh, Christina Aguilera needs a bass player. So Barry Squire sets up auditions with 30 bass players in his database, and he'd get paid a bunch of money. And I I got in with him, at, and I was like, oh, I'm set. You know, I'm going to get calls. And I was. I was getting calls for The Offspring, for like Puddle of Mud, like all these gigs. And I was like, wow, this is this is really cool. He still does it, but it's now it's always like, I'm looking for someone that's 18 to 22. That's, and I think people now just go on YouTube. Oh, that kid's really good. Like, let's call him. They're almost like weeding him out. Barry Squire's destitute. He had to sell his house. Yeah, Barry Squire. Barry Squire's a little bit, uh, getting a little bit obsolete, but it was really valuable getting in with him. But I remember like when I lived in Vermont, I don't even know how I heard because I didn't even have a computer or anything, but I knew face-to-face needed a drummer. So I actually looked on their I had a seven inch, I think I looked on it and got the address to the manager and I sent him like a, I mailed him a package. Here's a CD I've played on, you know, here's a little bio. And, and I got an audition with them that way. And that's how it used to have to be, which kids wouldn't even understand now, but they just like shoot an email over or something. (laughs) You definitely had to try a little harder. And they probably got a much lower volume of people that wanted to audition because it's too much work to even try to get it. That, that is like a huge difference between now and, and back then. Things were way different. I'm glad because w- when I started touring, we were like starving pretty much. We yeah. were eating peanut butter and you couldn't look up directions on your phone. You couldn't talk to anybody. So it was like, I feel like I had a greater appreciation for the advances we've had in technology <laughs> and everything now. And kids now, like I've talked to certain managers and stuff, and they're like, yeah, all these bands think they're going to go out on their first tour and be on a bus and have huge shows. And
0: mm-hmm. it's
1: like, no, you're going to play. Like we played basements and squats, and but I, I, it wasn't that fun at the time. But now I appreciate that it, it was like that, because if I play somewhere cool or we share, you know, we're fortunate enough to share a bus with somebody or something. I appreciate the hell out of it. Of course.
0: Wasn't there an urban legend that 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 band uh, Biohazard got their record deal by throwing their demo into a record producer's car attached to a brick through the window?
1: I heard that. They they broke his window. I heard that. And I don't know. You know, I should have asked. I actually met Billy, the guitar player. He calls himself Billy Bio. He tours in Europe and everything. And we played on a festival with him, and then he came to our show in Budapest, and he came up on stage, and we played a Misfits song. And I should have asked him that, because <laughs> I heard the same thing when I was younger. I had that bright orange tape. Yeah, um, yeah. Which was a pretty good record. <laughs>
0: I don't that, that was the one with the big single on it, right? They had one big single that was on MTV and yeah. stuff. Yeah.
1: What was oh, shit? I, forgot I don't that. remember. but I feel like, yeah, you kind of had to like do what you had to do. <laughs> I don't know if it's like more saturated now, and there's more and more good players or if they're just more accessible because you can find them and learn about them
0: anyone with a laptop can make a pretty decent sounding
1: recording totally and yeah. like
0: back in the day remember you know like we knew one guy that had a Tascam 4 track
1: yeah what, didn't we go somewhere weird to record that that foam record it was like in
0: it was in Wallingford
1: the place was called nozzle I still have a cassette just I one. have one
0: somewhere and I know that there are a bunch of them in my mom's attic,
1: but I bought a, a boombox at Goodwill a couple years ago so I could have a cassette player and I listened to it and it was definitely a trip down memory lane. It's crazy. The Squirrel song <laughs> yeah. like tickled my fancy a little bit. But yeah, it made me think about I was thinking about you the other night because this was coming up and I was I thought about uh the Chesters. Oh man. And, they call, and the and the Big mafucking <laughs> fucking Okay. So good. <laughs> that was so. I remember you running around Northampton telling everybody we were going to see them. Yeah, and I listened to that cassette not long ago, and it's still awesome.
0: I have it loaded on my computer. It's uh, it's so good. CD. It's, it really.
1: It's simple, dun, but it's raw. It's you know, so it's raw. A, <laughs> It's raw and there's like hooks. <laughs> and also it
0: was really fun. I, I lived in uh, Hadley, which is near Northampton for a while. And when I worked in Harold's, Her- the ice cream shop there. And I was wearing my big mistake shirt while working one day. And this guy came in and commented on my shirt. He said, oh, nice big mistake shirt. And, oh, nice. Uh, but then you, you got this wistful look on his face. He's like... Yeah, things were simpler then. <laughs> I was just like, uh, "Okay," but he, I think, oh, yeah. I, but I think that he kind of summed it up. They were fun shows, and it wasn't super clicky and super scene oriented. It was just like, "This is a rock show, and these guys are going to play, and you know the songs because you've seen this band
1: like twenty five times." And, yeah, and, <laughs> and they play their asses off. Like, exactly. And they, I remember he used to light his trumpet on fire. He did. And like, and uh, the cool thing about them was, in, in my opinion, it was regional, you know, but to me, they were pretty successful. People knew them. People liked them. The shows were usually pretty crowded. They were. But if you went up to any of them and talked to them, they were the most humble people in the world. They had zero attitude to me. I, I learned a lot from seeing that. To me they were the biggest band in the world for a while. They were they were like my whole entire universe. I know. It was
0: kind of stupid. We would just go and see them anywhere they were playing.
1: Yeah. <laughs> it was but really like, dumb. They were just so good and they seemed like such nice people. You know, I don't really know them, but any of them that I've talked to it was they're just like super chill and but then they get on stage and they're like, they're going like balls out. That's kind of hard to find, you know, even still.
0: And the recordings don't do them justice. Don't do the live show justice, as is the case no. with, with many of these these bands that, that um we're talking about. They really don't. <laughs> Although I'm sure that those guys never made any money <laughs> whatsoever. I would definitely say that they were successful because I, I'm assuming that you remember there was this theme in their story of when's the cd gonna come out it was always like is the cd coming out you ask one of them and they're like no there's a thing and blah blah blah, blah, blah no money and the care recordings and it was like an epic saga of when the yeah. goddamn cd was gonna come out it was
1: like a unicorn like and, we were it, all waiting for. totally and then finally the cd came out it's like <laughs> the cd I need to, I need to get that digitally. Like I have, I have the cassette still. I think it's got like four songs on it.
0: I have the CD here somewhere and I have copied it to my computer so I can, well, yeah, I I know that you own it. So I'm not incriminating anybody with digital rights. (laughs) He bought the CD. Okay, guys.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It's funny too, because right, right before I moved from Vermont, I, I can't remember what band I was playing with, but we played a show with them at 242 main street and i was like all up on their nuts i was like oh my god you know i'm you're like i'm like you're one of your biggest fans and they were kind of just like what why like i don't understand (laughs) like i don't understand why you're so excited that we're here it might have been Heckle or i don't know some band and yeah and they they just didn't get it and i was like you don't understand
0: they should get it though because the first place that i saw them was at that place in new britain what was it called the the Boiler Room? The Boiler Room. And those shows were the best because it was just a bunch of kids. And you see, they were like all the Scott kids,
1: all the punk kids. Big Mistake had that thing that is so rare. Even now, knowing what I know now, I probably could only name eight or ten bands that have that thing that play their asses off and that are that raw and pure. They were awesome. I loved them. That was a good time, though. Yeah, the Chesters, you know, I'd always pick you up to drive back to connecticut man you get chester's at the store there with your points (laughs) pay the gas money with chester's
0: i I think i told you the story that i met i met the guy who invented those people are listening so i'm going to say chester's is an ice cream sandwich with chocolate chip cookies that you would buy in a gas station or a 7-eleven or some kind of a convenience store but most of the time when you buy these types of ice cream sandwiches they're hard Not very good, but Chester's had very soft, delightful (laughs) cookies with quality chocolate chips, and the ice cream tasted like ice cream. It was about the texture and the flavor. I was at the movies one time in Somerville, Massachusetts, getting a Biggie Iggy, which is very much like a a Chester's, and I started eating them because they are very much like Chester's, and of course, I couldn't find Chester's in Boston. A Biggie Iggy is, is much bigger. It's basically the same thing, but big. I was in line. I believe I was with Aaron Barrett and and Becca. I was telling them how much I love Biggie Iggy's, and the woman behind me said, "'Aren't they great?' And I said, Yes, they are great. And I started expounding on how much I liked them. And and then I said, I used to get these things on my way from Vermont called and she said Chesters. And I said, Yes. What? And then she said, See that guy over there? He's the guy that invented them. And evidently her husband was the creator of Chesters and Biggie Iggy.
1: Oh, both of them? Yeah. So your so your radar was spot on, your taste buds. Yeah. The fact that you likened them to Chester's. Yeah,
0: it was the only thing I could find that was even remotely like a Chester's. And anyway, so the, the guy who created the Biggie Iggies bought Biggie Iggies for all of us. No
1: way. Yeah, like dude. a round
0: of them? Yeah, a round of Biggie
1: Iggies. <laughs> That's amazing. It's so good, right? What are the chances? Like, how random. You're it's, not even in the same state. Totally crazy. <laughs> That's nuts. And I've <laughs> never seen Chester's anywhere but. At UVM, <laughs> pretty no, much. No,
0: oh, no, but also at the the gas station in Brattleboro, they had them. Oh, did they? Yeah, it was like last stop for
1: Chester's. <laughs> the one by the Burger King?
0: <laughs> yeah. I don't remember yeah. if there was a Burger King there. I just remember there, it's, like, it's exit yeah. one or whatever, whatever the last exit before <laughs> right. you pass into... Uh...
1: <laughs> right before all the speed traps.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right before the highway gets really, really
1: nasty. Now I want to try a Biggie Iggy. I've never even heard of them
0: i don't know if they still exist last time i was in boston i did not look for one it wouldn't wow, surprise me if they didn't exist anymore chester's
1: i had that memory just i hadn't thought of it since probably i was in connecticut
0: thinking about the glory days of chester's in
1: vermont and we used to enjoy uh our band practices quite a bit i feel like in the living room of my mom's house you used to do pull-ups on the beam that was about to fall down already <laughs> yeah and then you had a collection of like root beer bottles or something that you were stashing up there.
0: Well, we would go to the, the store down the
1: down the way and get yeah, the Virgil's store. get
0: Virgil's root beer. Mystic yeah. ice teas.
1: Oh man, those are good. Yeah, and then and then there were a couple of gals that used to bring us like ice cream yes. from the sweet shop, which never upset me. And just like watch band practice because there was just that little to do in that town. <laughs> they didn't have any other viable options, really, uh, for boys or things to do.
0: (laughs) Those were the days. But I'm wondering, did you always want to be a drummer?
1: Yeah. Like when um, you were a
0: kid, did you think, I I just want to drum?
1: Yeah, I did. It sounds cliche, but my mom said that she was at some concert in the park and she claims that I was kicking her (laughs) stomach in utero. (laughs) to the beat for a little bit, which I don't know if I believe.
0: Uh, yeah, um, it's a nice story, though.
1: And then, yeah, it's cute. And then, mo- like most people, I did used to pull out her Tupperware with wooden spoons and oh, play yeah, in yeah. the that's kitchen. Oh, essential.
0: yeah, that's essential.
1: Which is real. But, yeah, I always wanted to. And then fourth grade, my grandmother lived in kind of a wealthy area, even though they were not themselves. And uh, I was able to find a really nice vintage pearl drum set for like, I think it was like 350 bucks and they helped me with that. And then I just kept upgrading and I, so I started in fourth grade and then I started taking lessons at the same time on a drum pad through school. And then as time went on, I was taking lessons from this guy, Chip Reed, who's pretty amazing. He was a great piano player as well. And he actually used to pick me up at school and bring me home and, and we'd take lessons. So like one day a week I was cool. enough to take the bus. Hmm he got me to a certain point with drumming where he started like jamming with me on the piano. It was a huge learning experience, you know, because you, you can learn to play drums pretty well, at least you think you're playing pretty well, but then to learn how to play with other musicians and listen and, you know, try to get to that. Am I doing too much or too little or overplaying over top of them or whatever? That That was like another huge experience that I'm thankful I had. But yeah, fourth grade, I started, I got a pad. Fifth grade, I upgraded to a better drum set and I worked at this restaurant for like I think I made like 350 an hour when I was 11. I used to ride my bike down there and do dishes and I worked all summer I remember and then I just blew the whole lot of cash on Zildjian cymbals. Yeah, buddy. At the, at the end of the summer. And then I, I got some rototoms and yeah, it started early. I never wanted to play anything else. I used to mess around with the piano a little just because it was there. My mom had one right. in the house and it was fairly out of tune, but always wanted to play. I never had any question. I don't, I don't know why. And the, I wish I didn't... It wasn't a waste. I loved every second of it, but I wish I spent less time worrying about skateboarding and snowboarding and even more time practicing, even though I practiced like all the time, I feel like I could have practiced even more. But every day I'd come home from school and and I was kind of a latchkey kid. So my mom worked pretty late. You know, she'd stay and do like plans and bulletin boards and all that. And so I would come home every day and just I had some Rush VHS tapes and some Zeppelin ones. And I would just play. I played along to Rush a lot because that was like my hero at the time. Neil Pert and John Bonham, and then around the time I met you, I can't even remember how we met exactly, but I remember it was at a time that was pretty exciting musically because we were—I at least was getting introduced to a lot of different stuff through actually like Thrasher magazine and skateboarding videos, and yep. got into that whole alternative world with like Fishbone and Primus and yes, you know Rage Against the Machine, and that that opened up a whole new universe. I started really like listening to so many different things. I feel like when we were in foam, we were really, you know, we all had so many things we were into. We did. And I feel like it really came across on the it, on it that really record. Did. It's like it's really like doesn't sound like anything else to me. It's like no. we did whatever we wanted and and made it fit into that sound and Sometimes it wasn't great. It's kind of, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, not always. And then we used to switch instruments, remember certain songs like Beastie Boys and Yeah, yeah. At the Cotton Club. Yeah, I'm sure you remember. I do. But yeah, that those were like such great times. I mean, the feeling I got playing at the Cotton Club to, you know, maybe what, 30 people from our schools combined is not too terribly different from the feeling I get now if I'm playing a festival to thousands or 10,000 people. It's that same exact feeling. It's that pure feeling. You, You just love every second you're up there and it takes takes so much practice and planning and Travel and hard work and you know, it's not a perfect thing, but it definitely is all worth it when you get up there.
0: We're talking about being in, in Winstead. We played a gig at West Hill Lake. Oh yeah. <laughs> we, like we played at all these weird places. Forgot in the rain. But the people <laughs> the people that were there wanted to be there and Yeah. It wasn't like they stumbled into it. So they were kind of into it, too. Like, maybe they were our friends, or maybe they were just excited that something was happening in their town that they could do. And live music is fun to go see.
1: Yeah, and I think also, you know, I I know we did some covers, but we pretty early on started doing our own music, which was huge. Because there are cover bands up the wazoo, you know, anywhere you go. But I think they appreciated that we were writing our own music. And, you know, we had Eric Miller was such a talented guitar player. Yes, Caleb definitely brought like the the like quirky whimsy, you know, like, <laughs> the quirky sounds of fretless bass, and <laughs> so like those times were so great. And I I still get that same feeling. I'm not even kidding. Even writing songs, like finally finishing like a part that fits just right, and then recording it, and then getting to see it live. You know, people have connected with it or whatever. No matter how many, if it's a couple people or a hundred people it's that same exact feeling I get out of it and the same reward. And that's why I think I've gone backwards now to where it's like, this is I'm I'm doing this because I love it first and foremost. And like, I love the feeling and I love that connection and I love like bringing people together and, they're all just having a good time. And that's the same reason I did it back then. If you told me that back then, I'd be like, yeah, right. But the reason I go practice now is the same reason I used to practice after school. Like, I just want to be better at it because I am I love it and I have a passion for it. The one thing I miss these days is I don't make a lot of time to go play and just jam and play whatever I want. So I've gotten like worse at that. It's almost like I, I'm so used to having a structured thing. Like, this is the set I have to learn for this show or this tour, I, I've lost that ability to just freeform like jam and play whatever I want. So mm-hmm. it's almost like if someone says, oh, play a few bars of a solo here, it's almost like a lot of times I don't know what to play. I'll just go to my fail safe fills I always do or whatever. <laughs> That's kind of bad. And I've let that go. And I need to kind of tweak that. Otherwise, it's exactly the same. And the times I had with you or and, and the bonding and everything are the same, you know, the same I've had with people I've toured with, you know, it's like, it's like that exact same camaraderie and, I think, appreciation.
0: When I hung out with you guys in, in Amsterdam, I got that vibe. I got that feeling. It was just like this weird mission. We were on a mission and it was just fun. Yeah. I,
1: I told my wife about this. It felt like you and I had hit pause however many, you know, 20 years ago. So and then, many years. <laughs> and then hit play and we were sitting in the train station. And it was like the same exact... It, we had like the same exact friendship and I, for me, like comfort level, it, it didn't even feel that weird. It just felt weird that I was in Amsterdam with you instead of like Riverton, you know, right. but it, it felt like we'd been hanging out the whole time. And I think that's like one of those things that that bond that it creates, you know, when you do music with other people. I mean, we would have been friends either way, I, you know, whether we played in a band together or not. But I think that gave us that extra cement.
0: <laughs> if we weren't playing in the band together, though, we wouldn't have necessarily had any reason to hang out together, unless I went to whatever whatever band you were in.
1: And, and Connecticut, you know, I feel like we were fortunate because, like, it's kind of one of those states that's sandwiched, so a band's probably like, well. Let's pick up a show here rather than have a day off. We can make a little bit of extra money. And we always had like good bands coming through. You know, I saw Rage Against the Machine at the Sting. And, you know, maybe four or five hundred people with Cypress Hill and some shows, some shows like that. That now, if you look at their shows now, it's like holy Christ, They're, like
0: yeah, massive.
1: I actually originally thought they were a regional band. I bought a snowboard at Cutting Edge, and in the shrink wrap of the snowboard, there was a Rage Against the Machine like two song. Um, cassette sampler. Dude, I
0: know. I remember you brought it to band practice and we were all freaking out.
1: <laughs> yeah. I thought they were like the next, whatever, Toxic Field Mice or whatever bands we were into, and I thought they were a local band. Like, like who are these I had, guys? I that guy had is no a... clue. Yeah, and then remember, like, that Lollapalooza came around and we're like, holy shit, that's that band Rage yeah. Against the Machine. We had such a pure, like, clueless um, I feel like bubble we were in that, yeah. that was, like, special, you know? Because, well, like, we didn't care that they were the it new band to like. We, we liked them because they were awesome and we just stumbled on them. It's not like we were hipsters and we knew about them before everybody else. It was like pure accident.
0: <laughs> That's kind of the benefit of growing up in a small middle of nowhere town.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And luckily, we, you know, we stumbled into some pretty good stuff. When I used to go back there for the holidays, I'm like, how the hell are we even in bands or how do we even know about bands? You know, it was yeah. like people there listened to... A lot of it's good stuff, but not a lot of new stuff flowing through or, or like sparking creativity or anything.
0: But that's what I mean. Like when I just wanted to go see shows. So the first time that I went to the boiler room, I felt totally like a fish out of water because there was a scene down there. Everyone was like super cool and they were all wearing scene clothes, you know, like headbands
1: and, yeah. <laughs> <Yeah>. headbands
0: and <laughs> basketball <necklaces>. jerseys. jerseys. <laughs> And I was just like, you know, wearing a rugby shirt or something. Right. Yeah, exactly.
1: No, you used to always have those awesome punch shirts like like oh, two God. men walking abreast, or like Dude. I remember two men walking abreast or visualized world bees.
0: <laughs> that was like my identity for a really long time. The guy with the weird t-shirts.
1: I thought of you. I ordered one like a couple years ago, and it was like two stick figures, and one of them was holding like a straight piece, and he said, "I've got your back." (laughs) Straight out of Jim Turber like catalog. I
0: I try to avoid graphics on my t-shirts now, not entirely. I have a couple band t-shirts, and I have like an old RCA logo t-shirt.
1: These days, it's kind of like whatever fits me properly (laughs) that I don't look super fat in. That's what I go with.
0: The biggest downside of Corona for me eating lots of cookies.
1: <laughs> yeah, it packs on so easy when it... you get this age. Another thing I meant to mention, musically, I spent a lot of time really trying to force things to happen with certain bands, like like Great Collapse, for instance. We had a lot of momentum. We had records coming out. We were getting tour offers and stuff. But Thomas is in another band. You know, that was kind of a priority. And I, I feel like I was forcing so hard. And every time I set something up, they were like, oh, Thomas can't do it. Joe can't do it. Whatever. And I was getting so frustrated and, and irritated with the guys. And then I was finally just like, you know what? I need to just do other stuff. And if things are supposed to happen, they will. I can't keep forcing stuff. People are busy. They have other bands. And every time I like beg for a favor and then they offer it to us. And then I have to say, oh, but this guy can't do it. It was starting to be like a bad look, you know? So I, I started just doing other stuff, you know? And it, And it's like other musical projects. I mean, and when I did, things started coming back around, you know, it was like heckle. We hadn't played since 97 and all of a sudden they're like, oh, I'm writing new songs. So that was cool. And then now I've been talking to some of the guys and they're like, yeah, maybe we can do something. I I was wasting a lot of energy trying to make things perfect and trying to make things work when it it was almost impossible. And I think music's kind of like that. You're going to have times where everybody's really into doing the same thing and on the same page. And then other times we're like, Some dudes drift off and other dudes come in and out. I love all those guys to death, but it's one of those things like, I'm hoping we can do something again, but I'm just going to not, you know, not push so hard because it seems like the harder you try is the less things happen for you sometimes with music, probably because it's, it's art. And if you're forcing certain things, it's timing's a big part of it, right? Timing and having all the right lucky coincidences happen, along with timing and along with talent and all that stuff so I, I was forgetting about the whole reason I was doing it in the first place it's not that important that we go to Australia I was just trying to do stuff keep us busy because I was excited about it it's like trying to force a relationship with someone it's like that's, if you can feel them drifting away or they or they're kind of going through some other things the more you force it the more you're gonna push them away you know you're gonna that's exactly what it's like. Yeah, you're going to drive them right out of your life if you're forcing it <laughs> or, or you're coming off too desperate. <laughs> so, it, it's funny um,
0: that you 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 say that because I was just thinking about when our band foam was breaking up. We were in Vermont and Caleb and Eric were still in high school and we would practice and they would they came up and I we played a show at UVM like in the Oh, that's right. Holy cow, I forgot about that. I was dead set on keeping the band together. In my head, we were never going to break up and then you were meeting all these hardcore guys, And clearly getting into other things. And then Caleb and Eric were doing their senior year, a high school thing. I just remember that show that we played at UVM was there there was a guy there, kind of this hippie drummer guy that everybody looked up to in the dorm. And I was like, oh, did you see that? Did you check out Todd? Like, he's a really good drummer, right? He's like, yeah, but he just doesn't seem that into it. And I was like, what do you mean? That's my, that's, that's my drummer. But you're like, you know, you're meeting all these hardcore guys and you're about to start, uh, what was it? Seven years war.
1: Yeah. So, And yeah. you're
0: starting this thing up, and, and that's like the hot new chick.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and, and I'm like, I'm hot, too. <laughs> it's the and, new kid at school everybody
0: likes. you When you just said it was like ending a relationship, It that's that's what it feels like.
1: Yeah, It exa- it is. And people can tell. I, I don't know. You could play the same song at two different points in your life and it can look totally different even though it sounds the same, you know? And it happened with Death by Stereo. I played with those guys for six or seven years full-time. We were family. I loved each and every one of them to death. I still do. But it came to a point I wanted to do some other things. And, you know, there were other outside pressures like shows were getting smaller. Things kept happening to us. You know, just rounds of bad luck that kind of influenced things. On a musical level, I just wanted to try some different things. And I remember... I told them that when I when I got Dan and Ephraim together, I was like, yeah, I think I'm going to leave. Because it got to the point where we were in Australia and New Zealand and South America. We, we did some amazing stuff and I was totally not excited to be there. And I was like, something's wrong with this picture. Not only should I be stoked to be here in general, but I get to play drums here. But I lost sight of what was important and how lucky I was. I was just wanting to do other things. So I've tried to always be honest with myself and the people I work with, it's like you're not doing anybody any favors or any service by staying because I was doing those tours to fulfill them because we already had them booked. But I remember I just felt like a fraud. I felt like I was up there playing the songs and I wasn't selling it because... I just wasn't excited anymore. I lost the fire. And I remember when I sat those guys down to tell them, I thought, you know, their minds were going to be blown. And they were like, oh, we're surprised you didn't come to us sooner. <laughs> like We've been waiting for you to like talk about this wow. for a long time. <laughs> and it, it's sad because I don't know what the reason was. You know, I was, I think I was burnt out on touring in general because there were years we were doing nine or 10 months a year and I was sick all the time. I just never was home and you always want something you don't have. So I loved that life, but then I was like, oh man, it'd be nice to just like have a routine for a little while and sleep in my own bed and play some different kinds of music. Cause I've always liked so many kinds of music. I, I was never just pigeonholed into heavy stuff, you know? I get pulled into it now just because I think like, cause of history. Yeah you know it's so that's fine i like it but i i really like playing lots of different stuff i hit a point where i couldn't even put my finger on it i'm like am i crazy cuz there are other people that would love to have this job and here i am complaining that i have to go on tour in a rad country you know and it it's just i've always promised myself that look if i'm if i'm not happy i don't want to stay around where it's toxic or where it's going to hurt the band that i've committed to I always felt like I owed him more than that. So I told him and left. It's happened a few times over the years. I feel like it's just always better to be honest and like, you know, maybe that person can find someone that's like more into them. I just got married to my mom was ringing in my head from all the years of being like, you really need to have insurance and have this and that. And then when I got married, I was like, well, shit, now I'm affecting my wife. I was trying to bring her here from Canada and that was expensive. (laughs) You know, I was trying to use tour money to pay for a lawyer. And it's like, if I'm starving, I don't care, but I don't want to make her starve. It's not right. So that was ringing in my head. But when I was on tour, I wanted to be home. And when I was home, I wanted to be on tour. And it it was like that for a while. (laughs) I went to Europe a bunch of times with some different bands and, well, I guess, play in the field, as you'd call it, with a relationship. (laughs) And it was great, but, you know, I didn't even really know what I was looking for, to be honest. I just want to be playing because I love it. And I want to always make sure I'm playing with people that I really like and really respect and get along with. Because there's a lot of hanging out that has to be done. Yes. Other than the half hour here on stage or whatever. <laughs> yeah, right. Later, I'll see like you guys. It's like the whole rest of the day.
0: <laughs> I'll see you guys at practice not in yeah. the van
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah so that's like that's where it's at now and i'm thankful and if it stays that way great if if i get some opportunity that gets bigger than that that's awesome too you know i would approach it at the time but did you ever get to do any other projects musically like after fall?
0: i was playing with ed and andrew for a little while and and this, oh, nice. this drummer named buddy Back in the
1: day, like in the in the Western Mass, era. in the Western
0: Mass scene, and that's uh, awesome, and. We- Ed and I played in a band with this guy named Jeff Fritz and that same drummer. See, this is the thing with drummers. Like, if there's one good drummer, he ends up being in everybody's band.
1: Yeah, that's not totally psychotic.
0: (laughs) It's it's just the way (laughs) it goes, especially in Northampton. Yeah. (laughs)
1: Um, I should have moved there. (laughs) No, for real. You would
0: have been a god.
1: (laughs) How's Ed doing? Do you Uh, talk to him still? Yeah, I I
0: talk to him semi-regularly because he does uh, some audio editing for the podcast.
1: Oh, killer! Yeah, I really enjoyed playing with Ed. Always too, he had that level of intensity. Like he gave a shit while he was playing. You know, yeah,
0: he has an amazing ear and he has amazing feel.
1: Yes, and he's a he's a very intelligent guy. So yeah. like that comes across. I feel like is he still in the Western Mass area? Or? He is
0: in Los Angeles. You know what you should do? You should go to uh, your favorite podcast app and search for "Feel Free to Deviate" and download. Okay. I can't remember which episode number it is, but Ed Mubarak is one of the guests.
1: Excellent. I will do and that. And then you will
0: get the entire, it's not the entire story, but you will get a, a fairly accurate picture of how he's doing.
1: I wonder if he was there when I was still living there.
0: I don't think he was. He was probably still in Minneapolis.
1: I feel like we would have somehow known.
0: Because it's such yeah, a small that... town.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's hard not to run into someone. <laughs> Just in run LA. into him at
0: the corner store. <laughs> It's kind of like Riverton. Or you said before you weren't sure how how we, we met. You were playing the talent show at my school with Jason Roberts.
1: Really? I don't even remember that.
0: And evidently you guys were looking for hell? someone with different music tastes, and I was wearing a Lollapalooza t-shirt.
1: <laughs> at Gilbert? Yeah. Are you talking? Yeah. Really? I remember playing with Jay Roberts, but I don't even remember that. <laughs> Sure. Well,
0: that's what it was. You, you, the three of you approached me like behind a curtain on the stage, yes. right, Gilbert. And I was like, "Who the hell are
1: these guys?" <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> I tried to recruit you, <laughs> yes, into the cult. It's
0: like oh, <laughs> we couldn't help but noticing your T-shirt. Um, which <laughs> it
1: didn't. I feel like we ran in with each other somehow in the early years. Maybe like oh, I was I went to City Elementary
0: School till second grade.
1: Okay. See, I remember that strangely, but yeah. not the Gilbert show. Yeah. So, yeah, I remember. I remember we had met, so we had like some, some history together. The fact we put out our own record, you know, at that age in that town, dude, how crazy towns, is that? Like, that's pretty impressive. We self released the whole record. It wasn't just a demo tape. It was like we did a legit recording,
0: <laughs> in a studio, <laughs>
1: in a studio, and put it out, and people bought it, which was pretty cool. So, yes. I mean, uh, clearly I was not an artist. I I looked at the cover and I I was like, I think I drew that.
0: Well, the cover says a lot about that particular recording. The whole thing was very hastily done. Yeah. Then we have a tape and it's like, oh, we need a cover. Well, why don't you just draw something?
1: (laughs) Didn't we have like a day or two maybe in the studio tops? Maybe it it, was two, I think. (laughs) You know, I'm used to doing like, I'll have a day and a half for just drum tracks and that's even... Pretty rapid movement. I didn't know that then, but it's pretty impressive, really. We had no resources, really. We had we had Daddy's Junkie music if we drove really far, yeah. And we had and we had the Cotton Club for a minute, but really that's it, you know. So uh, mm-hmm. the fact we found our way, I'm proud of because uh, it's not like if you grow up in New York City, you're like you probably are going to know someone that has a studio or something, you know. But it's like yeah. not so much in Winston or Riverton. That that
0: reminds me. A couple of years ago, the Beastie Boys put out this this giant picture book uh with a bunch of essays in it. I can't remember what it's called. I think it's just called the Beastie Boys Book. It's it's like a giant coffee table book. The essays in it are amazing. They're written by them, but also by literary people and it's uh <laughs> people
1: that know how to write really. Yeah,
0: well. <laughs> it's great. You should totally read cool. that. I, I think I, that, I think that you would totally enjoy it. Uh, it talks about them being kids in New York, just running around. Free in the era before the, the big cleanup in uh, the Giuliani era.
1: And they clearly had a variety of different interests, musically, yes. I would say. Yes. That's pretty evident.
0: And they talk about like the characters on that scene and just what it was like developing into what they developed into. But anyway, that's about them. They're very successful. We all know that. Obviously, you know, I, I didn't expect to talk about the phone tape. I would say that that's a success story, it was quite an yeah. accomplishment.
1: Well, and I, I think, I think you and I are fairly stubborn. We, we were like, we're making a record, and that's just the way it's going to be. Like, I don't know, I don't know how yet, but we're doing it. That's how I still am, you know. And I, that's what I was saying. Like when I try to force projects and stuff, a lot of guys from other bands live in Portland, and it, and I know them. But just because you live in the same city as someone and you both play music doesn't necessarily mean you have to start a band together or they have time to do it or they want to do it you know what i mean or it's gonna work it's <laughs> exactly yeah so i i was just trying really hard to connect when I got up here because i didn't know very many people yeah. and so when i would learn that someone from a band i know lives here I'm like oh cool like I'm gonna hit them up you know and it's like it was probably probably came on too strong and stuff and i i still am not in a band here i do projects and stuff but I always tend to get pulled back to LA. Well, this band now I'm playing with is all in the like kind of the San Francisco area, but never have I been in a band up here really to speak of uh, that's actually from Portland. So that's kind of weird over the course of like nine years.
0: You could definitely Uh, make that happen, Todd. (laughs) I
1: don't know. I mean, well, there are a lot of great bands, but a lot of them are either super indie rock or they're kind of like the the denim vest kind of like stoner metal type stuff, which. I like some of that, I but do I too. don't. I don't necessarily want to play it, you know. Like yeah. Or I'm maybe not cool enough to play it.
0: Denim vest? <laughs> is that
1: like a thing? Yeah, like you got the <laughs> denim vest with patches all over it. Like, oh, oh okay, well, there's okay. like okay. there's like bands that like like the sword I like and Baroness and bands like that that are great. That band Red Fang is from here. That's a pretty rad oh, band. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I met them once, but oddly enough, it was in Hungary. We we played it. <laughs> We played a club and they were playing like the bigger room of the club. And so we all like had dinner together there, but I'd never met him here. I, I'm just not in the circles, you know, but there right. are a lot of great bands. I mean, that band's really good, uh, I think, in my opinion, but that that type of band or like super indie Portugal, the man lives here i like that i like that band but i'm definitely not in those circles i would never meet any of them or run into any of them i don't think uh, in the places i hang out (laughs) so one of these days yeah i feel like the the foam tape or just the fact we just we found a good group of musicians with even even close to similar musical interests and did it work and and talent levels you know like we were all pretty much on the same page i I, I, I well I,
0: i wouldn't i wouldn't go that far
1: I, I went there. I, mean, <laughs> I feel I feel good about it. I mean, Eric was probably better than all of us. I, I, mean, I don't know. I, I,
0: if, if I had to rank, I'd say that you and Eric were kind of a tier above, then Caleb, big. then me, me.
1: But no, in, in such a small town, you know, even, even in a city like this, finding people around like plus or minus a decade within my age and even remotely with musical interests that are the same and yeah. kind of like kind of talent levels. Close to the same, it's hard even to find in a city like this. And everyone's a musician here. There's so many musicians, but the fact we're able to do it in such a little, well, I'll say two towns, but um, really the same area maybe it was just like we lucked out. (laughs) I don't Mm -hmm. know, but
0: yeah, well, that's, that's what it is. It's timing, right? It's timing. And the window has to be open. How many, how many guys do you know who are the like super, super talented musicians and either never get in a project that's any good or they just kind of wither
1: and die, you know, like it happens all the time
0: and they might be the most amazing musician you've ever met, but it just doesn't, it just doesn't happen.
1: By that same token. I know a lot of guitar players that absolutely rip. Yeah. That but they can't write a song, yeah, you totally. know, or they, or they don't have any feel and it's or like they
0: can't play with people.
1: You don't have to be able to shred all over the place. But if you can go in the studio and be super solid and know your shit and be easy to get along with, that's almost more what people are looking for a lot of the time. You know, they don't need Paul Gilbert, like who actually Paul Gilbert lives here, by the way. OK, I'm I'm still waiting Noted. someday to run into him. Uh, do you know who he is? I don't. The, the guitar player from uh, Mr. Big. Oh, he's yes, kind of, of
0: course like, I know who yeah. he is.
1: So he's like a virtuoso, <laughs> yeah. and he's supposed to be a really cool guy, but someday I'm just waiting for the day I get to run into him and try to, try to set up a jam. <laughs> but it hasn't happened yet. But uh, He's don't. busy
0: writing articles for Guitar Player magazine or something.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah there's a lot of ripping drummers too, but it's like, I wouldn't want to be in a van with that guy for a week, you know? Yeah, There's so many parts to it. And I used to beat myself up doing auditions, you know, because be like, Oh, I nailed that part. Why didn't I get it? I was so naive. I just thought if you played the part well, and you were a decent drummer, you'd get it. I refused to accept back then that image matters, looks matter, your personality matters all those things I know now, it's like, maybe I played well, but I just wasn't the dude. They thought I was weird looking or they thought I was like awkward, you know, when I talked to him or whatever, it could have been so many different things, but I thought it was all the playing. And so I'd like beat myself up like, whoa, I could have played better maybe. And, you know, and that's just such a waste of time and energy. I've realized now I'm definitely my own biggest critic with everything I do. So that's just in my DNA. I think, <laughs> I think the guys that have made it, you know, they've been in the right place at the right time. They've, lucked into some things. And then when you have those two things happening, you also have to have a level of talent to back it up and and a personality that people can, can jive with. And I think when you have all that stuff, you just keep getting calls, you know, it's a small world. I think once you get in there, I was just very naive in LA. I really am big. on trying to be myself. So yes, of course. um, And I, that has cost me, I think some opportunities. Sure. But there are plenty of bands that'll let
0: you be yourself, right?
1: Yeah. And if they don't, I, I mean, I, I don't really want to be in a band that won't at this point. That sounds stupid, but it's just like... No, it doesn't. I would hate to pretend to be somebody else just to have a job. And even at my jobs, I am I try to be that way. I try not to mislead in interviews or anything, you know?
0: Tell me about it, dude. I'm writing letters all the time. And I feel like writing in my own voice is, is, is my strong suit. And yeah, I, it's not working. <laughs>
1: That's weird yeah it, but you got to keep doing it you'll <laughs> I know, find I've one. got to I've got to because that <laughs> that was
0: I was I worked for the last place for nine years and it was a good place for me to be It checked many boxes yep but that brings me to something you said before. I'm glad that you mentioned that you had to deal with immigration for your wife because she's Canadian. as you know, my wife is a Dutch lady. I went through that as well and I have to say, I'm kind of surprised how low the bar of the INS is for financial burden. Like I was making a very modest salary at Wellesley College, uh-huh. and I was able to sponsor her, and we knew these two other Dutch people who won the green card lottery in, in the Netherlands. So I was sponsoring oh. three Dutch people on, one, on my salary, and they're like, yeah, that's fine.
1: You were balling, huh? (laughs) Yeah. I was just like, how? You're like, I I support a team of Dutch people. (laughs) Seriously, how is this even possible?
0: So, but, but, but I'm wondering when the, when the INS looks at your, your thing, they're like drummer in a punk band.
1: Yeah. Like how does, how does that
0: look to the INS? And is that where Lionsgate comes in?
1: (laughs) Well, yeah. And you, you, some tours you do what I considered at the time pretty well. And then other tours you, you make jack shit. And so it's like, there's no consistency. So I actually had to have my mother, oh, co-sponsor her. But go. where I went wrong is I I tried to do everything myself. So I ordered like a kit. It was like three hundred bucks. It was like a book and some forms, and we did everything. Yeah, and we were set We were sending everything to Vancouver. There was a Vancouver office and a Montreal office for Canada for the immigration, and we were sending everything to Vancouver, and we were doing pretty well. You know, everything I sent though was like oh submit $350 with it, you know, as a processing fee. So it was like bleeding me dry. I didn't have a lot of money. And then there came a point with one of the later forms and well into the process, we're probably a year, year and a half in, and it said to send it to Montreal. And I had already sent the same thing to Vancouver. So I just didn't send it. Uh, Um, I'm like, that's a double. And then I got a thing later saying like, oh, you're disqualified and everything is... You have to start over. Because you didn't send it. It's like, well, I did send it to the other office. So basically I wasted thousands of dollars, probably a year and a half trying to do it ourselves. And we were so close to the end. I wasn't at Lionsgate yet. I was, uh, I was in a band called nations of fire and it was more of a straight head rock band. And we were trying to do the mainstream, you know, we, we showcased for Warner brothers and universal and all these labels. And I thought we were going to really do it that way. And that was kind of the goal of that band. (laughs) It was guys from this band, Ignite, and uh, a guy from Rise Against. So we ended up not getting a record deal, but we got a publishing deal with EMI. And I think we each got, I don't know, it was supposed to be in like three rounds of, of payments, and it was all hinging on if we got a record deal or not. But we did get the first round, and I think we each got like six grand or something, maybe 6,700 bucks. So that was enough to like, I went finally and I got an immigration attorney just sucked it up. I think it was like 1500 bucks, And he was like, here's a checklist of everything you need to give me. Make a binder. We gave it all to him. We went up to Vancouver, had our interview, and it was done. It was like the simplest process. It still took like six months, but it was crazy because my wife had come to visit me. It was like a vacation. She came down for what was going to be two weeks. We went to the first appointment with the attorney during that time. And he was like, Don't go back because they might not let you back in once we start this.
0: No, no, they won't. It starts like you have to start over.
1: Yeah. So basically she had a suitcase with two weeks of clothes and she just had to stay. Had no idea any of that was going to happen. Our pugs were up in Canada. Oh no. Her car was up there. Everything. I booked a ticket, flew to Canada and I drove her car with the pugs and all of her stuff all the way from Calgary to LA, which was like 24, 25 hours. And came down, and then we started the process with the attorney. And my mom was kind enough to co-sponsor, because other than that EMI money, that was enough to get us like our first little studio apartment and enough to pay for the lawyer. I didn't really have a real job. I was like kind of doing floors. I thought we were going to get a record deal, so I was kind of trying to stall. And I went to Europe once with those guys. And then once she moved down, I landed a job at MySpace, which was really lucky. The singer of Heckle was... uh, content director there. And he was kind of like, learn some HTML and I'll bring you in for an interview. (laughs) And I was like, okay. So I bought a book, learned some stuff. And then I had to fake my way through like four interviews. Like I didn't know anything and I somehow ended up getting it. And then that started the whole thing with, with the media stuff. You know, I went NBC Universal and then Lionsgate, but thank God I had that foot in the door.
0: Yeah. No, for real networking, man. It's the best.
1: At the same time, right before I got the MySpace offer, I had interviewed at a management company that managed Flogging Molly and they offered me the job. I turned it down because MySpace was considerably more money and because I was getting married or I was married and everything, I needed it. But I really wish I had taken that other job because I was laid off from MySpace a year and a half later and it turned out like Flogging Molly's drummer ended up leaving. I probably would have had a line into that, maybe I'd be in Flogging Molly, you know, but you don't know that stuff at the time. And it was like 20 grand less. And I was like, I don't know, I, I could live on this, but it'd be tight, but I would be doing what I like. But I went, yeah, I went for the corporate route, worked for Fox, and then they bent me over like a year and a half later. But at least I learned a lot. And I was able to get on this trajectory with other companies. But yeah, th- those were tough times. I felt like a piece of shit, you know, like I had a wife, and I, I didn't really have a plan. And So around the same time, too, is when I tried out for The Offspring and they called me back and said they wanted me to play down with the band. And I went down there and I was like, whoa, this could be good timing. That'd be pretty good. They ended up taking my friend Pete, who is an awesome drummer. But yeah, you know, you just like you just can't. Coincidentally, he got the face-to-face gig, too, that I tried out for. (laughs) So (laughs) What's up with this guy? He beat me out of two gigs. (laughs) He's got the look, man. (laughs) Oh, he's, he's real good. Yeah. Most people look cooler than I do, so... Yeah, so that was a tough time, you know, and that's why I I got really bitter. I'm like, you know, I've put so much into music and a musical career, and I can't make it happen. It's so close, and, you know, all these labels, like, they're flying us to New York and all this stuff. I was like, oh, my God, this is really going to happen. And then one label passed on us, and then they are all gone. It was oh, like, no. once word gets around that someone passes on you, then everyone thinks there's something wrong with you. And that's it. It was just done. So we ended up putting our own record out, but luckily we got the publishing deal and that kept me afloat. I did a couple flooring jobs and then I got the job at MySpace. So that was the transition into real job time, I guess. MySpace was a great job. It was cool, but I'd go to see shows like whoever, like Rise Against or bands I was friends with. And they're like, you should be touring. Why are you not touring? Like, you know, Mm -hmm. you're too good to be working a job like that. I was like, that's a good story, but I don't have an (laughs) opportunity. So I need to pay my bills you know if you want to find me something that'd be great <laughs> i would take it thank you yeah it it <laughs> t- it tears your heartstrings though when someone says something yeah. like that that you re- that you respect because shit am i making the wrong choice should i be out there pounding the pavement trying to get in a band or should i just suck it up and, and work and i almost felt ashamed of working for a while i was like hey, i got this job i'm almost like embarrassed like i should yeah. be playing you know i was a drummer in my mind i was a musician why am i working this desk job you know and And then it got to a point where I was like, you got to be real about life. Like you have bills to pay. No one's going to handle that shit for me. I have to figure it out and pay my bills. And if I can find something in that time, cool. But, you know, I can't expect something to fall into my lap right at the right time. And maybe I'm not the guy that should be touring.
0: But you do tour. That's the thing. It comes back to the balance. Many of the people that I've spoken with, especially recently, mention that they just don't have time to do the thing that they want to do. Like I spoke with Jason Kelly recently, and he,
1: oh, wow. He lives nice. in your
0: city. And he is he still here? He is. Oh, and cool. He, he works as a radiologist or a radio, yeah, I, I can't, radio, radiology technologist. I, I don't remember what the actual title is. His episode is really good. You should check it out. He started along his trajectory so he would have time to do the stuff that he wants to do, but, you know, he's not really doing it now. And, you know, he t- he bought a drum kit, so he plays music on the side. It's not just him. It's a, a, it's a very common theme. And some people kind of squeak it in. I Like, I, I talked to another guy who's super into skateboarding, and he stopped skating for a while because his knee got blown out. But I just saw on social media that he's doing it again. So some people are able to work these, these things in, these passions in, for like work on art projects or work on music projects, and some people aren't, and that's what that's that's why I asked you to come on, because I've been unemployed for a year, and I started doing this in the middle of the summer. Even just doing this, I noticed that I'm not photographing very much. Yeah, I'm not. Oh, yeah, like I'm I'm constantly <laughs> thinking about like promoting the stupid podcast on social media or editing. It takes forever to edit these things.
1: So it's so it's pulling your focus, right? Like, yes, it is. Yeah. And, and,
0: and I yeah. like it. And I think it's great. And I think it actually ties into other other work that I've done in my life. But I have a hard time with balance. Yeah. You've got a jobby job. You have the wooden furniture thing. And then you yeah. go on tour or go to the studio. Or, you're not touring at the moment, but you go to the studio and you're working on these different projects with the bands. Most people can't manage that for whatever reason.
1: It'd be a hell of a lot easier without kids, but the kids are so awesome and such a big part of my life that like, I I can't even imagine it any other way. You know what I mean? So they're pretty cool. You know, sometimes they're like, oh, why do you have to go play drums so much? And do you like drums more than us? You know, I get those, (laughs) I get those questions and I don't go a lot, but they just, they have pretty high standards and they call (laughs) me out a lot. So I, I, I run into a lot of guilt, but, uh. I tell him like, you know, that daddy's been doing this since before you were born and he needs to do this to be happy. And it honestly makes me a better father because the happier I am, you know, the better I am to them. And But it's a
0: good example so, too, I think.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's like something that's really special. And it's one of the only things I've ever been decent at. The balance is hard because I, I'm very passionate about my kids, music and the furniture building. And, and it, Somehow it all kind of works together to keep me even. Otherwise, like I can get in a rut really easy and get depressed and you know, I know that about myself and it all interconnects. Some of the furniture I've built is for people that I've met through music. Like I just built a 10 foot long table that is on its way to LA right now for a guy that shot videos of death by stereo and I met him through that. It's super weird how it all is connected, but it is. I'll say this when I go to shows now, if I go to see a band I'm friends with that comes through, they usually ask me about the furniture stuff first, not like drumming. And that made me think like, man, do they even think about me as a, in a drumming sense anymore. Or do they just think I'm a furniture builder. So I, it almost made me realize like, I'm not doing it enough, you know? So I started carving out more time for it. There's never extra time. So it's something I really have to carve out time for and make it a point to always fit it in because it's not ever going to fit in naturally like it used to. It's your kids will take whatever time you have or your job will or it's been tough. But I, I've only recently kind of found a balance in the last year or so, I feel like um, with making it all work together. Otherwise, like one thing's always suffering. Like you're saying, the podcast made the photography suffer and that that happens pretty easily if I'm not super on top of it. But there are ebbs and flows. I'll have super crazy periods with the furniture where I'll have like three orders stacked up. And then sometimes I'll just finish them and I won't really try to hustle any more work. And I'll just be like, okay, I'm going to take a little breather and focus more on drumming. I try to take advantage of the natural ebbs and flows that occur and, and just go with them rather than trying to force them to happen. You know what I mean? Yeah. And the more I leave something, the more I want to go back to it. So if I don't work on furniture for a few weeks, like, man, I miss being out in the shop. I'm going to get back out there. Yeah. You're like fired up to get
0: back into it.
1: Yeah, totally. And that's kind of a cool thing about it. Um, because that's actually really hard work, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like physically <laughs> and drumming is too, but the furniture stuff is really hard work and you can get burned out pretty easy. If, if I'm working all day here and then I go home and I go right into the shop and then I go to bed, I get burned out a little bit. Sometimes it's nice to take a couple weeks off and just since it's not my living, I have that option. I try to take the cues that are happening naturally, I'll say, with the ebbs and flows and the different things and use that to kind of create the balance uh, around. And it's a little less work that way.
0: Where did the furniture thing come from? Like, I don't remember you being like wood guy.
1: I built ramps a lot, but that was about it. Oh, that's right. But that was really it though. (laughs) (laughs) My grandfather was a carpenter, so I always liked kind of building things, but When I moved up here, I wasn't playing hardly at all for the first couple years, and we were just working on our house. It was a massive, like, fixer-upper. We needed a dining room table, I remember, so I just built one, and I made a few mistakes, like you do. And then I met this friend, Andy, that I was—he was a guitar player. I met him at a show— we were going to jam and he's like, "Oh, I'm a machinist and I work with metal and I wanted to wrap the table in like steel." So he's like, "I could help you do that." We ended up uh starting a company that we did for like 5 years called Slab Rats Designs. Great name. Thanks. Yeah, he was welding and we were both kind of working on the wood and then he broke off in 2020 cuz he got married and bought a house and he didn't really want to grow it bigger and I did. We're still best friends, but We kind of went our separate ways, and I turned it into this new company that is an LLC uh, called 2020 Woodworks, and I've been doing that alone ever since. Yeah, I started really when I moved up here. I was looking for like a creative outlet since I wasn't doing music, and I found that I was getting similar satisfaction levels out of creating furniture, like design. It's almost like writing the song, you're designing the furniture, and then you kind of start building it and that's recording it. And then at the end, you get to stand back and get that level of satisfaction when it's done. And that's kind of, I think, where it came into play in my head. And now I like doing it so much that I I need to do both. (laughs) So anything, you know, you're passionate about, you just absorb everything you, you hear and you watch. And so I did that and I made a ton of mistakes over the last eight or nine years. And that's how you learn, you know? And I, I I, used a lot of what I made the first few years to invest in really good tools. And then I just got a bigger shop. It's in my yard. So now it's to the point where I, I can't do like seven jobs at once, but I have enough space to where I can work on like a couple if I shuffle things around enough. And I don't have to drive to the shop, which is nice. So I can kind of slip out there. I don't have that, like, oh, I got to sell eight tables to pay rent this month. That would be tough with the amount of time I'm able to put into it. Everything I build is commissioned. So when I start a job with someone, I'll just tell them this is a side business. I work on it nights and weekends. My timeline's this, and I just try to be upfront. I'm not going to be able to bust this out in a week. And I don't like to rush stuff because then I feel like details are missed. But very much like drumming, it's the kind of thing that I'll never feel even a fraction as good at as I want to be. And I'll probably be working on until I'm well into my retirement to try to practice and get better and better. So it's got a lot of parallels, I think, to music, I think, for me.
0: I feel like with with music and also with woodworking or any sort of craftsman artwork, the inconsistencies and the faults are the interesting parts.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's true. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Sometimes you do something by accident and then you're like,
0: Oh, that was that's pretty actually cool. kind of
1: <laughs> yeah that's kind of cool I might uh I might do it the same way next time you know yeah um and and people people are pretty cool up here like anyone that locks you in to do a custom piece of furniture for them I feel like they're usually willing to wait I try to stay within budget always and to some people are just like you built this I saw this on your website I want one just like this and that's okay but It kind of sucks because I don't save like templates or anything or plans, so I'm like, right,
0: right. You're like, I'll do what I can. (laughs) Yeah, I'm like, shit.
1: What did I? How did I do that? And uh, you know, and then other people are really cool. They want to like kind of be every step, like kind of develop the idea with you and then work things out as you go. And those are kind of fun too, because it's like you're, it's really like you're collaborating on like more of like a art project with someone. And some people have really good ideas and they're really creative. It's that same thing with music. You like you make these connections with people and. A lot of uh, a lot of customers I've had have ordered two, three, four different things. Oh, we really loved this. You know, in another few months, we're going to save up and we're going to do this. And that's been really cool, too, because that's really the highest form of flattery. If they come back and want you to build something else, they actually liked it. They weren't blowing smoke, you know. That, it's been really cool that way. And I, I've made some friends through that, too. It's cool. It's just another way to be out there and, and uh, making friends with people and stuff. I enjoy it.
0: What are you doing now? Like what is your main job? For my
1: actual job? Yeah. It's a startup called nursing.com. It's actually like an online classroom supplement for nursing students because nursing school is so freaking hard. So many nurses fail and uh, there's such a shortage of nurses. It's a mobile app and a a website that has 2000 lessons. And then there's cheat sheets and there's practice quizzes. The tests you take when you're Trying to become an RN is called the NCLEX. It's kind of like trying to pass the bar if you're an attorney, right? Um, so we have a simulated NCLEX that they can take. That's that's very much runs the same way that the NCLEX does. I never realized how hard it is and what a struggle it is and what a shortage there is. But it's been a really cool experience working in content in this like educational arena versus entertainment.
0: Yeah, totally. It's great, right?
1: It's a whole other world, but it, it actually feels like. I'm helping some people, which is really cool rather than just entertaining them (laughs) or something, you know?
0: Well, but both are helping them, but it's still, it's cool. It's, it's a, it's a good, it's a, it's a worthwhile use of your skills.
1: I've probably learned more here from this group of people in the last, not even year than I learned combined with all the LA companies working in that kind of media space. It's really intense. There's really high expectations, but everybody is super dialed in and, going a mile a minute and committed to make it as good as we can. And uh, I think that's been really cool. So I I fly in nurses from all over the country and we create and record lessons. I have a nurse on my content team that teaches at Duke University and she's like a flight nurse. So she's on helicopters, you know, nursing. It's really, really cool. These are people I never would have met. We're from different worlds, but.
0: Dude, that sounds like a really cool job.
1: It's cool. Yeah. I'm the content director and then she's the only other person on my team. And I, I just hired her, I guess, in January and she loves puns. So, like,
0: <laughs> oh boy. you know,
1: we're, we're always working our asses off and stressing, but we make it as fun as we can. I just slam coffee all day. And so, yeah, it's been really cool, but it's, it's a whole nother world coming from Lionsgate or, or NBC, such huge companies. The departments are so big and it's so easy to hide and not do any work. There's so many people there that were like, I don't even know what the marketing department did at those companies at all. Here, it's cool because we all collaborate and it's so small and tight knit, but we still have that same level of work to do. So it's been really challenging and really humbled me in a lot of ways. And it's been, I've learned a ton. I'm here like, you know, full time. And then I go home and got the business, the kids and the music. So I'm not usually too bored but that's kind of how I feel best mentally. I, I think the busier I am, the more I'm accomplishing, like the better I always feel as far as mental health goes.
0: Well, that's a tip. <laughs> that's a <laughs> well, good one. Well, some
1: people might get stressed out and be in a worse mental spot, yeah. but I, I've finally just given in. I know my hangups and I know what tends to work. So I'm just going to go with it. There's no point in fighting it. Right. So that for me is what works. My wife likes to chill and I stress her out a lot, but... We're just different that way, and we don't fight it. That's just the way it is.
0: I have a feeling that I know the answer to this because we just talked for a long time, and uh-huh. you keep talking about music stuff and about how important it is to you. But how do you identify, like when you're when you're dropping the kids off or whatever, and or you're talking to another parent, and they're like, "Oh, so what do you do? Do you lead with the jobby job, or do you lead with <laughs> I, I'm a hardcore drummer?"
1: I I tell them uh, I tell them I work in uh, content digital media. And
0: then they go, oh.
1: Yeah, just to avoid conversations that I don't want to have because they're probably not going to understand any of the things that go along with it.
0: (laughs) Well, they're probably going to be big fans of Death by Stereo.
1: Naturally. But, you know, our neighbors that we're friends with, that our kids play with and everything, they know that I play music and stuff. But they honestly don't really ask about that much. We usually just talk about the kids yeah, they'll be like, "Oh, you you got shows next month? That's cool." But yeah, no one really seems to care, um, and <laughs> don't, I don't. Really they don't talk. think it's
0: cool or anything.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, I'm not even sure. I just don't really talk about it that much, unless someone either asks me or it's someone else that plays music. You know what I mean? Yeah. Some people will be like, "Oh, how's the band stuff going?" or whatever, and I'll just say, "Oh, I did a couple records last year," you know. But it's not a thing. Um, my boss is pretty interested in it because. I guess he used to play in bands a little and, oh, cool. uh, he had a very strict, like Mormon upbringing, so he's not practicing anymore, but I think it made him wish that he was able to do some of the touring and that kind of thing that he wasn't able to do. So he asked me about it sometimes, but
0: Mormons uh, can yeah. tour, believe it or not.
1: Yeah. You know what? I was just thinking about that. Like some huge bands that are Mormon, Yeah, <laughs> like the Killers, the Imagine Dragons. Like, I think that band you
0: know, Low, Have you? do you know them? They're...
1: I've heard of them. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's some,
0: yeah, you can,
1: you can tear it up when you're Mormon and sure. make some serious cash.
0: I'm not saying that Mormons feel repressed, but you know, if you feel repressed, some, you got to let that out somewhere.
1: I think he just went the way of what he felt like he was supposed to. Like he went to Brigham Young University yeah. and you know what I mean? I, I just think he probably was like, oh, that's ridiculous. I can't tour, you know, I'm not really sure, but it's really cool. Cause he knows bands that i talk about and he's into like some pretty good music he likes the used and some of the stuff like that so it's like this is cool like I, I've never been able to talk with my boss about music like this you know to answer your question i don't know what people think of me when I drop my kids off i don't know if they think I'm a weirdo with tattoos and they don't know why or like if they think oh that guy looks like he's in a band or that guy you know I don't really know i I don't really worry about it it's just I've never really advertised it too much. When I was at Lionsgate, for instance, and I, I went in and told the executive vice president of my department that I was going on tour, she's like, "What do you, for what? What does that mean? <laughs> and I'm like, I'm a drummer. And she's like, oh, really? And then she was all interested. But <laughs> I never brought it up because, A, it never naturally came up. And B, I just don't think that it needed to be brought up ever. Like, I didn't want anyone to judge me. Like, oh, he's a musician. He probably parties at night and, you know, he's not going to get his work done. I felt like one had nothing to do with the other and I used to wear long sleeves there because it it was kind of conservative. So, like, no one even knew I had tattoos or anything. Not that they might have even cared, but I just felt like, well, I'm just going to blend in here and do my job and I don't feel like that needs to be a thing. I don't want anyone to think that I'm cool or anything. And I told my boss, he's always like, of course you know that, that person or whatever. It's like, you know, a ton of nurses. I know people in bands. Cause I, that's what I did for a lot of years. And I ran in those circles. It's no different, you know, like, it's just, it's just what you do. You connect with people through what you do. And it—they're just your colleagues. uh, They're just friends. And, uh, but yeah, I, I kind of had to put it in perspective, like, you know, a shit ton of like nursing personalities, you know, that people might think are cool. You don't know. Like, it's just, that's just what you do. So everyone here knows I play music because it's so small and everything, but it still really has no bearing on anything. They know I'm going to leave and record and do stuff like that. But when I'm here, I'm working. I'm content guy. (laughs) You know what I mean?
0: I do. I appreciate you doing this.
1: Oh, yeah. It was an absolute pleasure. I mean, I had a really good time chatting and I hope we can do it again on or off the podcast either way. I would love to catch up with you anytime, regardless. You know, there's so
0: many things that I'd like to talk about. But we've already been talking for a really long time.
1: Yeah, my wife's going to kill me when I get home. I neglected to mention that I was doing this today (laughs) to her. Because I knew she'd have been like, oh, great, you're going to be home at like 8 (laughs) (laughs) o'clock.
0: Yeah, dude, it's 2.37 in the morning here right now. Oh,
1: my God. You better hit that walk-up coffee window first thing tomorrow. Yeah, for real. Anything you don't care about in my life, feel free to edit out because I, I don't know why anyone would care about anything. So we're taking them on a journey. You know, that's just the way it goes. For real. <laughs> if anyone out there is an aspiring drumming woodworking uh, content director, <laughs> maybe it can help them open. Some doors. It might.
0: It's not really about specifics. It's more about how people make things work. So, yeah. Well,
1: uh, that in itself is a is a thing that can help people because yeah think everyone else has it figured out yeah of
0: course like you said you said that you feel that anxiety and then i'm telling you how i feel like i'm looking at you and you've got balance figured out to a t and everything's awesome you know (laughs) and if nothing else as as growing up as a kid who likes music you becoming friends with playing with even being in bands with some of the guys that we used to go see at shows when we were kids is the pinnacle of success for someone
1: That's true. I got further than I expected to. If this is all I ever do, I'm happy, but I I will always keep doing more because I love it. You know, Mm -hmm. it's just like, that's my quest. I want to put out as many records and pieces of furniture while I'm alive, you know, yeah. and hopefully some connect with some people. And you're doing that and
0: you're maintaining a job that you actually like, and you've got this awesome side job. I can't imagine finding the time or willpower to do it all.
1: Yeah, it yeah, there are nights where I dread like going to the practice space. But I'm like, all right, well I got a show in a, a week and a half. I have to know yeah. this shit. But once I get there, I'm psyched. But it yeah, it is hard sometimes to just I have to kind of just not think about it. Like, yeah, I'm tired, but I'm sure I'll be fine once I get there and <laughs> you know <laughs> and the table stuff is like that's easy because it's like this has to be delivered in a week and right I've never missed a deadline, so I don't have a choice.
0: I, I guess not.
1: Good luck with the hunt too. And I know I went through that for months. Dude, it's hard. It's just like auditions. When you know you're overqualified or you're perfectly qualified for something, that you get the email like, oh, we decided to go with people that were better qualified. It's like, this is exactly what I've done for the last 10 years. Like, <laughs> That's, Did, he, did anyone it. even look at it? You know, Or is <laughs> it like, like a robot? Nobody like, is
0: more qualified than me. <laughs>
1: Yeah, it's so annoying because like I'm not a cocky guy, but sometimes it's like this job was. It's like it was created for me, like it's perfect. Yeah. How the hell are you not at least giving me an interview? You know
0: exactly. I, I mean, I have stories that I could tell you, but I, it's it's late.
1: <laughs> yeah, I know it's it's heartbreaking though. I I in this job I got was a flyer. I know nothing about nursing, but I'm gonna apply, you know, and hope for the best. And I got an interview. It was you never know. I didn't expect this one to work out, but I was to the point where I was like, God, anything even remotely in the realm I'm going to apply for. And this was kind of like one of those. (laughs) right? (laughs) So you never know, but yeah, keep your chin up. You know, you're intelligent and you're good at a lot of things. So you just have to, it's like music. You have to get that one person that's willing to look at the resume and take a shot, you know, like, Hey, they're willing to take a shot on me. Cool. It's frustrating, man. I know.
0: Before I go, and you have to pay very specific attention to what I'm about to say. Okay, copy that. Thank you for being on the Toddcast.
1: (laughs) Yes. Oh, that's 11 out of 10 right there. It's gold.
0: (laughs) I I thought you'd like it. Uh, (laughs) Thank you again.
1: Yeah, thank you, my friend. Bye. Later.
0: That was Todd. And that was super fun. Many of his experiences and observations mirror my own, especially in regards to the job search. When he was talking about getting rejection letters from places saying that they were going with more qualified candidates, it could have been me telling exactly the same story. It is seriously frustrating. I also deeply appreciate his discipline. He mastered the drums, and that is no small feat. He also figured out how to be a content director and started a furniture company while maintaining a family. It's a lot of work. I am in awe of his ability to keep it together, and I could definitely use a little bit of that, or a lot of it, or any of it. Thanks for being on the show, Todd. I really appreciate it. Check out Todd's woodworking on his website, 2020woodworks.com, or look for him on Instagram, at Todd Hennig. While you're there, pop on over to at, feel free to deviate and follow and like and comment on all my crazy posts. It was suggested to me that I should post the Foam record online somewhere. Is that interesting to anybody? I haven't asked the other guys how they feel about it, but I suppose it could happen someday at some point. Send me an email if you want that to happen. I'll see what I can do. Unless this is the first time you've listened, you've probably noticed that my intro and outro music for this episode is different than normal. Well, that's Foam. So much fun. Thanks to Ed at Boomkost.com for the audio editing and post-production. Check him out if you need audio stuff and tell him that Jim sent you. That's B-O-O-M-K-A-A-S dot com. The next episode is either Andrew or Christina. I'm not exactly sure yet, but all of us will know for sure in two weeks. Again, thanks for listening. It means a lot to me. Have a lovely day.